0: Hey, it's Andrew, and Happy New Year. I hope you're all having a great start to the year. Today on the show, we have Casey Graham, CEO and founder of Gravy, a subscription payment recovery service that helps companies fight involuntary churn. We talked about how Casey's experience with bad customer churn inspired him to start Gravy, the main reasons for failed payments in SaaS businesses, and why Casey thinks a hands-on human approach is the best way to fight churn. We also dived into the different kinds of buyer personas Gravy has identified for their business, why slowing down their onboarding process helped them increase their customer lifetime value, and the importance of having a champion within their customer's company. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Now enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio
1: you build a habit for your mm-hmm. and you saw these
0: these different you just gun for revenue in the door this is churn.fm the podcast for subscription economy pros each week we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth
1: how do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics, and ideas, brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's
1: episode. Hey, Casey, welcome to the show. What's up, Andrew? How you doing today?
0: I'm doing a lot better off that welcome I got for you now. I think for the listeners, uh, it be a little bit relevant, but Casey greeted me with the most amazing welcome from the team, and they uh, popped some fireworks, not fireworks, but some crackers in the office, and all said hello. So it was, it was really, really great remote hello. Uh, so thanks for that, Casey. It's great to have you.
1: Absolutely. We love to do a big celebration uh, virtually because we feel like virtual culture uh, doesn't get celebrated as much as in-person culture. So we just wanted to say hello and uh, welcome to Gravy.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic. And for the listeners, uh, Casey, obviously, is the founder and CEO of Gravy. And Gravy is a subscription payment recovery service powered by people and amplified by software. Uh, Gravy has helped customers recover over $28 million in failed payments since launching in April 2017. And prior to Gravy, Casey started and sold two companies that both shared an issue with payment failures and recovery. So my first question for you, Casey, is what made you focus on the very specific problem of payment failures?
1: Um, the number one thing that when I w- we had the last company that I was in, uh, and the CEO of, and we were growing is that we had a private equity group call and they wanted to buy our business and, um, they sent us a big number of how much they wanted to pay. And we said, great, let's go into due diligence. And in due diligence, um, they essentially walked us through the first time I'd ever heard of the thing called a churn waterfall. Have you ever heard of a churn waterfall? I'm sure. <laughs> yep. And so on the churn waterfall, they started pointing out all of these issues and problems and they decreased their offer for uh, four X um, from coming in the door to leaving the door uh, because of looking at churn and looking at the risk associated to buying the business and those kind of things. And so it was a wake up call because all I focused on was marketing and sales. Uh, and growing the top-line revenue and, and and those kind of things. Uh, but then we got maniacal. We got super focused over a two-year period on closing the back door of that business. And then two years later, uh, that same company, because we, we closed the back door and we fixed the churn problem, uh, they bought us for 4X what the first-time offer was. So it was literally a crazy turn of events. And I just realized, crap, this is like – this isn't like fixing – some little thing where, yeah, you bring customers back, or this isn't even about, yeah, you get LTV. Even the bigger picture of this is the value of the organization is only worth what it's worth in the future to somebody else. If you're going to sell your organization or if you're even going to keep it. And so this is a huge issue. And so we said, Hey, let's just focus on that. And that's all we do. And it's all we focus on every single day. We just passed over 2 million interactions We've had 2 million personalized interactions via email, phone, text, Facebook messenger, or whatever method in the last 30 months at this point. And from that, we've just seen and learned learned a lot about what's happening with churn and people falling off and people coming back.
0: That's incredible. And I definitely echo, I think Thomas Tungus as well, had a look at the correlating factors of B2B sales valuations and found that the number one impacting factor when it came to valuations was uh, revenue retention so uh it's amazing to see how you really double down on that and were able to see a 4x and uh, now taking that into the new business so you mentioned you've had over 2 million interactions uh, so far me if i was wrong but um the can you walk us through what does that mean like what is the business
1: exactly what do you do so um, a lot of businesses we focus on businesses that are uh, they have over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue um, and they're growing. So it's not like startups with an idea. It's people that have a product and it's growing over over two hundred fifty annual revenue, and uh, they're subscription based uh, e learning online courses, uh, SAS. uh, Those are our three big uh, uh, industries that we're in. And what we essentially do is when people are on payment plans or credit uh, they have credit cards on file um, is that it's called involuntary churn. Their card doesn't work and it doesn't work for one of, you know, 200 different weird bank reasons. Right. And so uh, whether it be insufficient funds or whether it be an administrative issue or whatever. And so what we do is we partner with companies and we do the we the recovery process for the company, and so we as soon as the credit card fails in one of our uh, customers' companies, um, we have nice, friendly, smiling, individualized people that reach out individually, personalized, um, and connect with that uh, customer who had a credit card failure. And we tell them specifically why their card failed. Um, we tell them specifically um, what they're missing out on, and we try to win that customer back in real time all the time and we run a 60-day follow-up process because most people if after like seven to ten days they kind of let them off the hook but we stay with every single transaction uh if it's a 99 dollars a month SaaS company that has a failed customer we will try to recover that customer over a 60 different uh 60 day process using email using text using phone using social media or whatever to bring that customer back so that they pay the company and they get back on board with the company now Um, the, 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 unique part of this is, um, we act as if we are an extension of our clients. And so nobody knows gravy exists in the market that we're reaching out to. We're not a third party. We do this process for the company and act like we are the company and we treat them with the values of those companies and we win customers back every single month, uh, to, to to companies. And that's what we do.
0: It's a very, very interesting, and I love one of the lines on your site as well. It says, "Dunning software can't care." Um, so the the side to this as well, like as you're highlighting now, I think is really taking that personal approach. And I think what's really interesting is because actually before joining Hotjar, um, I had a case where I was uh, at the end of a startup, we had run out of money, and uh, we started receiving all these payment failure notifications. And I think, as you mentioned, like payment failure notifications can come from multiple different reasons. Uh, And one of them being actually when you don't have any money in the bank. And what I started to notice was some of the payment failure notifications coming through were rather rather quite alarming. And bright red, your account is about to be canceled, actually. And I'm not just saying this because I work at Hotjar now, but one of the very, very few uh, notifications I received was actually from Hotjar and was from like uh, automation from the CEO at the time, uh, David, basically saying, uh we know uh credit card failures can happen for a number of different reasons uh we're here to support you if, if you have any help just email me directly and i'll see what we can do to make sure that you get up and running again and i was really taken back for that because none of the other companies were doing this and everyone else really treated as a transaction as opposed to really an opportunity to interact and to speak to customers so i'm interested how you actually go about the interactions with customers how you act as an extension to uh, your customers
1: Um, Well, we have technology that plugs into uh, the payment processors and CRMs of our customers. And so we will literally integrate it into their business and running this process. And so, um, you know, let's just say it's a Stripe customer. Uh, as soon as that failure hits, um, we have a software internally called biscuits and so biscuits will go grab that. It will queue it up for our retention specialist. And then we have a inside of our software. It's a logic based program that says, here's what you do now. And it follows the customer through the journey so that we're able to follow them to know, did they update their payment or did they not? Uh, so that's the technology side of it. But the interaction side of it is we tell them specifically why their card failed. Um, we give them specific uh, what's called stay bonuses to bring them back. Um, we are warm and friendly. Um, it's all real faces and real people. Um, and we, we treat every single interaction, every single failed customer like it's the only one on earth. The software is what is able to keep us organized and in, in, uh, doing it, method, you know, in, in, a, in a methodical way. Uh, but the people on top of it are what we're doing is what allows the people to come back. And the way that we found to win customers back, number one is speed. Uh, The faster you get to them, uh, the more likely they'll already come back. Number two is uh, being specific, um, being specific about the product that failed, being specific about why their card failed, being specific about it, because they know that it's not just some dunning software. It's like this specifically is communicating to me. Um, number three is giving them reasons to come back, not assuming that they care, that they want to come back. We treat it as if it's a sale, like we're going to try to sell them to get them back. So what does that look like with deadlines and maybe a promotion or a bonus or an add-on or maybe a free month or whatever. So it just depends on the different customer. We do different things. Um, and then the last but not least is just being completely friendly and warm and kind. We found that empathy being nice to people and understanding them and listening to them uh, is the number one way to win people back to the company. Um, the worst thing you can do is be uh, lying in the sand, bright red—you know, uh, kind of the tactics of a uh, collections agency. Yeah,
0: uh, and then you mentioned as well, like your typical customers, two hundred and fifty K ARR plus. There was an ARR or MRR, sorry.
1: Yeah, that's ARR. And then uh, spanning up to our largest customer has been 120 uh, million ARR. But you know, it's usually the, the companies that are growing a million to 15 to 20 million. That's usually the clients that we connect with the most.
0: Okay. And what would their typical like, account value be then? So when you're having this sort of hands-on experience, like what are the contracts uh, that you're looking to try and help uh, recover?
1: Yeah. So um, on average, we work mostly with B2B companies. Um, and so usually the transactions are $30 a month or more. Um, so it's usually between $30 and $1,000 a month is, is where, where our sweet spot is. And uh, those, those are the account sizes. Is that what you mean by account size?
0: Yeah. Uh, so typically like what are their customers paying them?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, third on average between thirty to two hundred ninety nine dollars a month, but the average transaction for us it 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 pans out about a hundred hundred uh, bucks a month.
0: Okay, and then how are you able as well to sort of scale this uh, experience then when it comes to because it? it's not a very high like uh, account value uh, in terms of having like a hands on experience. So obviously, you mentioned the component to this uh, software and automation, but then actually like getting on a call or sending personalized. Uh, emails out. How is that possible? With sort of, because I imagine there must be quite a large volume of customers. Specifically, you mentioned like two million interactions so far.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a large volume, and that's where um, I don't believe that technology is the answer to this. I believe it's technology plus having uh, people connect with it because the technology is what allows us to scale because it keeps everything organized and on time and tells everybody what to do next. So we don't have to think. Um, But then the people are what make it warm and friendly and fuzzy and like a real response. And so it's, it's a mix of both. And so honestly, Andrew, as we've gone out and like, we've had all these, you know, growth equity firms want to come in and put money in all this kind of stuff. And we talk to them, they're like, well, 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 are you a tech company or are you a service? And I'm like, yes, we're both. Yeah. And they hate it. Like they, they, they want the answer to be like, it's, it's all SAS tech or they want it to be you're all service, but it's we're right in the middle and we leverage both. And that's how we're able to do this at scale. And, uh, our, we've, our, 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 our revenue retention, uh, is 120%. Um, mm-hmm. And, and our person, our company churn is only a uh, client churn has only been 1.9%. And so it's very sticky. Um, we're able to handle it. Um, our client sat just came back and we're like 91 on client sat. And I don't say that to just brag. I say that if we're going to be in this business doing this for other companies, we better be doing this for our clients. And, uh, yeah, that's what we do and that's how we do it.
0: Awesome. So I definitely want to dive into a little bit about how you're doing it yourself specifically, but let's just quickly close off as well on the Dunning component. So maybe you want to talk us through sort of the numbers side of things and what you typically see with customers, what percentage of churn is coming from failed payments? Like, what are some of the, the main reasons behind uh, these failed payments?
1: Yeah, in the B2B space, uh, bank hold, um, you know, and then there's funny bank, like just bank mystery numbers that come through of what the actual thing is that we, you know, you have to dig down and try to figure out. But bank holds on credit cards, administrative issues, and, and one of the, the, the number one uh, as well is obviously uh, um, lack of funds. Um and so I did I I just couldn't believe how much lack of funds was happening. And and then, then as we in the B2B space, and then as we started thinking about it and we started working with these companies, a lot of these companies have cash flow, but like they just run their credit limit up, or there's a million different reasons why these things happen. And so what we found is one of the best things that we're able to do that Dunning can't do in general is when we're communicating with these customers and they have, you know, the bank fails or or, or, or they don't have insufficient funds is that we can create different terms for them. And so we can charge them if it's hundred bucks a month, we could charge them, you know, 49.97 on the 15th, the 49.97 on the 30th or whatever. And we found that doing that is a tactic that just absolutely works Uh, and creating different methods of people to be able to pay has been one of the best uh, tactics that we've been able to use. Did that answer your question? I think I got off topic.
0: Yeah, no, part of the question is also, I think the, the second part then too that was really around sort of what is the typical percentage you see of churn coming from failed payments when working with these companies?
1: Yeah, involuntary, um, involuntary obviously. So what we found is that the, the worse the product, the higher the voluntary churn, like no duh, right? Yeah. Um, the better the product, the, 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 uh, the more their churn is involuntary churn. And so, um, what we've seen is just an average as um, companies between three percent failure on a month. So, if you take if you have a hundred subscriptions and you have three of them fail, being three percent, up yeah. to up to fifteen percent, those companies are healthy enough for the uh, for us to be able to work with. Anything over fifteen. Uh, means that they are basically a marketing organization throwing people into a very bad product, and we do not touch that. And anything under three percent means that they really don't have a problem at all, or they're too small to deal with. So that three to fifteen percent range uh, is is the range that we consider healthy.
0: Interesting, yeah. Because I think somebody as well uh, mentioned this to me once before, and maybe you can correct me if it's wrong. But uh, interesting, like most bank cards have an expiry of uh, two years. So if you think about like a general audience, if everybody's cards expiring every two years, uh, every month that's probably equates to roughly 5% of cards that you have on file would be expiring. Um, And you can tell me if the the math doesn't check out there, but um, what are some of the things you do around helping to ensure like cards are not expiring?
1: Well, most softwares have and Stripe does and uh, CRM systems have the auto updaters. Um, And so you know, when it comes to that, a lot of that's taken care of with with just auto updates of the credit card through the software, and uh, it takes care of it. Um, if if we have a customer that has annual subscriptions, um, which we love annual subscriptions, we've seen people do very well with annual subscriptions. Um, then we're able to help them with a, a pre campaign to go out and look at the cards a pre annual subscription 60 days out and look and say, Hey, in 60 days, this card is coming due. And then we start a marketing campaign leading up to those to make sure that those cards um, are either updated a and B that we let the people know that, 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 that the charge is coming because annual subscriptions uh, decline at a way higher rate than a monthly subscription, just because the price point increases significantly. So um, that's what we do with that. Um, Yeah, that's what we do.
0: Interesting. Um, so, as well, then the other thing you mentioned now in terms of like looking at yearly versus, uh, versus monthly yeah. uh, would be sort of like the rate of renewal and then with the credit cards itself. So, you say you typically see a higher um, rate of failure on yearly plans versus monthly when it comes Oh, to yeah. Balance oh,
1: balance. Yeah. yeah. Significantly, significantly. Uh, and it's depending upon the price point. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what we what we found is anything that goes higher than a than an a, average car payment, um, the, the 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 failures start to happen at a more significant rate. And so you know, an average car payment being let's just say you know five hundred bucks a month, uh, anything over that we see a significant spike. And so a lot of the annuals will be like, you know if it's a 99buck a month thing, they'll give people an annual at 9.97. Those 997s fail. Let's just say the company is at 5% uh, involuntary churn. It would not be unlikely for that to be at you a know, 15, 12 to, to 18% on the annual uh, to fail. So we see anywhere from an 8 to 12 point uh, increase with annuals. Okay. Wow.
0: Um, and then you mentioned the amount as well, sort of being a failure point, I think previously you also mentioned giving the option to pay like uh, at two different intervals. Oh, totally. Um, Yeah. How are you doing this? Uh, because I think like for a lot of people to be able to uh, start offering this kind of service would mean like changing the way billing works within the organization. Is there anything specific that you're doing that makes it easy for customers to be able to do this?
1: Uh, are you talking about our clients or the clients' customers?
0: Your clients. So how are you able to enable your clients to charge their clients? Uh, oh, a, yeah,
1: a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do it for them. Um, I mean, we're fully managed service on that side. Um, so we don't have a, here's the two, you know, here's, the, here's a piece of software. Here's a hack on that. Because everybody runs a different CRM and everybody has a different, you know, whether it's Infusionsoft or whether they have, you know, Salesforce or what, whatever their different CRMs and systems are. And so we have to customize that for each one of our clients. So I don't have like a specific thing that everybody can do.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to ask as well, I'm interested in terms of failures themselves, because I've heard this as well as an issue and just seeing if it's something that's come up for you. Is it? Typically like another good reason for payment failures would be if it's a US bank accounts and yes. it's a UK company charging or vice versa or it's this yes. cross border. Um, how big of an issue is this and what are some of the things you're doing to try to help your customers solve this?
1: It's huge. It is uh when we bring on uh we have we have um clients in UK and Australia and Canada. Um and when we, one of our sales guys, uh, our sales ladies, uh, bring one of these accounts through, I literally see our implementation people go like, oh crap, uh, it's like this, it's, it's, it's not that we can't do it, it's just that there's gonna be a bunch of extra back and forth and work and all that kind of stuff to get this done, because uh, there's a lot of our clients, like there's one that's in the UK, and has a, his, most of his business is in the US. Uh, but he's charging to a UK account. And so there's a lot of uh, manual. There's a lot of calling the bank. There's a lot of that. And there's a lot of just failure at checkout. And so a lot of the stuff that we do for those clients is like, um, we have one client that's in Canada and they do a big launch two times a year. And honestly they launch and their subscription price is at $797. So we literally launch Or they launch and we're sitting there with a team of people that when those cards fail because it says that we'll not take the funds, we're instantly reaching out to those customers saying, hey, can we do PayPal? Hey, can we do this other option? Or, Or hey, what can we do to get your card on file? Or can you try a different card and doing those different things? And so it's a lot of manual heavy lifting. And if you do have this situation, you better have somebody on it because you're losing a ton of money
0: yeah i think what i've heard as well some companies try to look at doing is uh, having alternate payment providers that they totally. use depending on jurisdiction and uh, where the company is uh, in order to sort of uh, resolve this issue but interesting yeah. just to see that you do see it as a big problem with uh, some of your customers as well
1: we do we do see it as a big problem and the biggest problem has been obviously with uh with australian banks uh, for some reason i don't know the exact reason why but with australia uh, you know, we've got some clients that have Australian banks trying to charge on a, uh, you know, a, a sales page here, uh, and most of their clients are in the U S and man, they have a, they have a heck of a time, uh, at checkout. And so that is, that's primarily where this happens. And then obviously subscriptions, it happens, but at checkout is where we see the biggest issue.
0: Very interesting. I think that'd be a great way actually as well to segment, uh, the involuntary churn as well as looking by jurisdiction and seeing which countries, uh, you're having the highest uh, churn rates because of course it would be a big indication that this could be an issue for you as well. Yeah. Um, all right. So you mentioned some incredible numbers as well previously. I think it was 120% net MRR retention and 1.8% customer uh, retention. Yeah. Uh, 1.5. 5. 5, yeah. So uh, talk us through a little bit about that. So let's start off with 120% uh, net MRR retention. So uh, obviously you're seeing some really, really good customer attention and uh, expansion revenue coming through there. Like, how, are you, how have you managed to achieve these numbers? Like, what are some of the key things that you've really, really focused on and
1: doubled down on in order to get this solid retention right? The number one, th- so this is my third business. And so um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that I just couldn't have known in one or two. And, and here's the thing that we talk about is how a customer comes in is how a customer goes out. So how a customer comes in is how a customer goes out. And so, uh, for instance, if a customer comes in and they come in quick and they're like, Hey, I just want this up and done. And so the entrepreneur, so, so we call those quick start quincies in, in our company. That's the avatar. Just get it off my plate. I just want you to take it. I just want you to do it. Just let's get this off. My, let's just go, 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 go that customer. That's how they'll leave. And it'll probably happen when you send them a bill three months from now. And they're like, whoa, whoa I didn't get out. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And so what we do with a quick start Quincy is that we slow them down and frustrate them on the front part of the process because we're not going to let them in without a full deep dive understanding. And essentially what we tell them is all of the negative things that they're going to think Three, six, nine, 12, 24 months later. So at month six, we know the questions they're going to ask. And so we ask them those questions before they sign the contract. For instance, hey, if you're paying gravy $4,000 a month uh, for, for, for what we do, and you look at that and you go, well, I could just hire somebody. Well, then we go down that uh, rabbit trail with that person on the front end and say, how are you going to think about that when you're sending us that amount of money every month? And then we, 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 we listen to them and we handle the back end objections on the front end. So that's one example with like a quick start, Quincy, uh, personality. And so we spend a lot of time on the front end vetting uh, for core value alignment and making sure that these people are going to fit. Um, another one of our, um, uh, avatars, um, is, um, uh, the, you know, uh, financial Frank, sorry, financial Frank. So financial Frank, Is gonna be uh, the CEO. They want a spreadsheet about and then four tabs later, four different spreadsheets and six broke down things. And so in the sales process, what we do with them is we walk them through the microeconomics. So the entrepreneur only wants to know the macroeconomics, but the the CFO type or the financial type want the macro, microeconomics. So we walk them through the microeconomics and we justify to them. Uh, Using logic and reason in the sales process and they agree to the logic and reason before they jump over the fence and so most of our retention happens on the front end um, not on the back end.
0: Yeah, I love that as well, Like how you've really got a good grasp of who your ideal customer is and understanding as well, like, uh, in some cases, maybe adding additional friction. I think this is something we talked about in a previous episode with Indolina Dorfman from Segment, where uh, what they actually found was most companies think of onboarding and the experience initially is trying to get people onboarded as fast as possible and to reduce uh, sort of the different layers of friction. But, by actually adding friction in most, in some cases, you can really have a big benefit. And this is one of those things really qualifying your customers and then knowing your customers inside and out. So how did you, you come about with these initial personas that you've uh, put together and what was the process
1: look like uh, in that? Um, Well, I came across the personas because um, again, this is not my first rodeo. And so I knew coming in, I hate agencies and I hate outsourcing personally. I hate it. Um, and we're an outsourced company. <laughs> so I'm starting a company that I genuinely don't like, um, from the standpoint of most outsourced companies, you pay them and they get paid no matter what, if it, regardless if they're successful or not for you or not. And so, when we started this, we wanted to start it to say that we don't get paid unless our client gets paid first. So it's a, it's a win for the client, then a win for gravy. So that's yeah. been another reason. Our, our, our proposition and the way we get paid is we don't make money unless the client makes money. And so um, we knew that. And then on the front end, um, I learned the hard way of getting on the sales call uh, with, a, with, with a, let's just say our, it's the second command. So we deal with a lot of like second commands, so COOs. And I would speak to them in the language of an entrepreneur, like all of this upside and possibilities, and you don't have to do this anymore. And all they wanted to know was, what does the technology map look like in the plug-in? And I wouldn't speak to that, and we would lose the cell on the front end. I'm like, "What's going on?" And so we started to identify throughout our phone calls that we really have five different avatars that we sell to. Um, And it was really just trial and error, frankly. Um, And I would speak really well to the Quick Start Quincy because I am one, Um, but then the Quick Start Quincy would come in in three months, we'd have a problem with them. And so we just went through this process of learning and we found that we work with five different types of avatars and we focus on those. And so uh, that's how we came about learning it.
0: Very interesting. Uh, And definitely it's obviously the the number one way is just speaking to customers, really understanding uh, who they are. Uh,
1: And I will say this, I will say this. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off. So the reason that we're so like high in qualifying who we work with is that we're not an app. Like we're not like we're talking to their customers on behalf of them. And so there's gotta be a mutual respect and a mutual. Um, trust, trust and yeah. understanding and all of that from the very beginning. And so what we believe is that sometimes when you slow things down on the front end, you can speed things up on the back end. And so uh, some of our best clients have been some of the hardest people in the sales process uh, because they answered every question. We got through all the trust barriers and then by the time we were ready to rock and roll, it's like, okay, you know, take off. And uh, that's something that's highly unique about what we do.
0: For sure, and I can definitely see that sort of trust barrier being a huge one because it really is a volatile moment as well that you're speaking to customers in, um, yep. and to be able to trust a third party company to actually step in and speak on your behalf, uh, there's got to be a lot of trust uh, and credibility there in that decision taken. So, um, so you're also like highlighting another thing as well. I think is typically you're speaking to one person within an organisation, and um, they would be the ones that you're selling into. How have you seen this sort of impact in the little churn that you do have when one of these people leaves? So when this customer champion that you've been speaking to. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's huge. So if, if, if our point of contact and so what happens in the way people buy with us is that the owner usually signs off at the end of the day on gravy being a part. That's wonderful. However, if the team that we're going to work with, um, and let's say that we work in conjunction with customer su- success or customer support, but they were not sold in this in the in the sales process, it becomes a disaster instantly because those people are like, who are these people? Why are they talking to me? What's this Slack channel? It's extra work for me, or any of that kind of stuff. And so number one is like getting everybody involved in the, on the front end, uh, that's going to be affected. And then number two, on the back end, when those people leave, we literally have to start the sales process 100% all over again. It's the like it's literally a brand new sales process period. And so we start over, we have to learn who they are. We have to win them over, build the trust and they have to see the value of this in the business or they will instantly come and go, why are we doing this? We don't have to do this. You know, I, and they come in, they want to be a hero. And a hero is, let's get rid of this, and we can do some other way or whatever. And uh, that's a that's a big issue that we've, we've had to deal with.
0: <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a big issue that we've brought up on the podcast. And it's interesting as well that it resonates uh, with you so strongly, even though you do have really strong uh, retention numbers.
1: Um, yeah, because some of the things, the hardest things have been like, we've had great customers, and we're like, what happened? Like, I'll get this upstream report and go, why is this person leaving? They're great and they love us and the owner still loves us, but the owner or CEO brought a new uh, head of uh, operations or customer success or finance in and it's kind of like people, they just want to bring in their own people or their own team or their own ideas or whatever and it's like, uh, crap, we lost some good business from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely uh and as you mentioned as also somebody coming in wanting to try and save some money or make a dent and uh show that they they're worth like maybe one of the first places is looking okay how can we cut costs is this something we can do ourselves so the the interesting i think i think as well you've uh, it sounds like you've got a real uh, strong hold on and you've uh, seem to have nailed this in terms of your um pricing and how you price um so maybe you want to just talk us through that like what is your value metric how are you pricing uh, and how would this typically look like for a customer?
1: Yeah, so um, we made it a no-brainer to where um, 20% of gravy's revenue uh, will come from a small monthly management fee. Very small, like just to get us, just, just to know that they're serious, right? But yeah. 80% of our revenue comes from success fee. And what that means is uh, it's a commission. If, if let's just say somebody has a $100 subscription on and, and the customers on month six, um, if we recover that customer for them, um, we get a cut off of that, a percentage, they get a cut, they usually keep the lion's share of that, we keep a minority cut most of the time, they keep a majority cut most of the time for month one. So if it was a 40%, we would get $40, they would, the, our client would keep $60. But here's the, the 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 most important part of all of this, is that we keep nothing long term. They keep all of the lifetime value of the customer. So essentially, we're like a back end sales team for the business. That we get a small cut, we get a kicker, and they get to keep all of the value of the customer, and they never have to pay us again on that customer.
0: That's very interesting, and I think as well it, it lines with something. Uh, in terms of like a couple of main reason i think companies or the only reason why people end up churning is when they're not receiving value Um, so if your product or service is not solving the problem they end up leaving and another factor though that does impact churn from time to time is obviously price Uh, and when you put that on an axis as well like people that are getting a little value but paying a lot end up being the highest to churn and those getting the most value and paying a little are the lowest to churn but it sounds like you've managed to have a good scaling effect in terms of the price as well with the value received, which is ultimately where you want to be is making sure that as the price scales, so does the value that the customers are
1: receiving. So I think it's a really, really great value metric that you've landed on as well for your pricing strategy. Yeah. My favorite thing about it is, like I said, I'm not a fan of outsourcing. And I, as we created this, you know, monster outsourcing company is um, I I just love that our, the, what we do is black and white. Like it's not like a logo that you can perceive one way or another. It's not like, you know, how should we do customer success in general or whatever, or some marketing thing. This is like, we either ROI or we don't, you know, and we are able to show the data real time all the time and show our clients like, this is exactly what you got. This is what you've paid us. And and the money is so lopsided. Like, It is so lopsided toward the the customer and we constantly another tip that we've learned is, um, we constantly are showing our client not just how much money we save them in a month, but we're adding up the LTV of how much money that they get that they're getting to keep month after month after month that they don't have to pay us on. And so as that number continually grows in perpetuity, the number that they pay us that it gets smaller and smaller and smaller the longer that we work with the customer. So the most expensive time to work with us is at the very beginning, and the least expensive time is the longer you go. And so that makes it another thing where we're a decreasing uh, cost percentage-wise, instead of an increasing cost.
0: That's very interesting. Uh, and then I'm sure you get uh, asked this question as well. But how are you taking into account sort of the natural reactivation uh, rate of customers? So uh, if you see that involuntary churn is typically, I think you mentioned it earlier, between three and fifteen percent typical customer. Um, I'm sure a lot of those who are were receiving a fair amount of reactivation. As a result, if it was a credit card failure or if it was credit yeah. card expiring, customers naturally doing it on their own. How are you measuring yourselves against the sort of the natural um, like flow of users themselves?
1: Yeah, so um, we'll give a uh, sometimes we'll give a grace period to our customers that they don't want us to, they, they want, let's just say, they want to run their Dunning emails for two days or they want to retry the credit card or whatever, and we'll say, okay, here's the period. But then there's a period when that's over and we start. Um, and then most of our customers say, just take over a day zero and run all of the processes because it's so much of a, it's a minor. They, they'll get, let's just say they got 15% of their customers back by automatic updating and automatic retry. Uh, it's such a small number that they, a lot of customers just say take over from day zero. It doesn't matter. Uh, but people that do want to do that, we allow them to do that and run any dunning process they want for a short period of time. Cause we're not a collections agency. We're not going to say, Hey, run a dunning process for 30 days. And then we start, we'd be like, heck no, we, we don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's three days or, you know, Hey, let me run this you know, thing for, 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 you know, 48 hours. Then, then we'll, we'll let them do that. Uh, but most of that, most of the time, Um, you're going to get the lion's share of those, uh, those easy ones back quick and then it starts getting hard. Um, and so by the time that customer is on day 17, well that's not as easy as they were on day, you know, our hour one. And so, um, we let customers do that a a little bit, but it's not that really that big of a deal for us.
0: Cool. Um, So maybe last question, because I see we're actually running up on time quite now, is I ask this to everyone. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, Casey, now as well, third time founder. Um, Let's imagine you start a new job or you walk into a new client and you see that churn retention uh, is really not great at this company and you've been tasked to now try to turn things around. What would be some of the things that you would try to do in the first 90 days to deliver results for the company?
1: The very first thing I believe that, that, that I would do, and this is what we did in our last company, so I did it, um, I put my best leader on the biggest opportunity. And I think churn is one of the biggest opportunities companies have. So I would move my best leader. I don't care if they're the director of marketing. I don't care if they're the director of sales. I don't care if they're the ops or the finance. I don't care who they are. I'm just saying if it's the person that you look at in your company and say, that person is a great leader and they get crap done. Number one, I put this as their number one metric and they are responsible for it no matter where they sit on the work chart. That's number one. Number two, I, I, I get visibility and clarity into the data. Most people, even people using these dashboards, like I, I'm not gonna name names of softwares um, just because it's not cool, but um, all of the softwares that say they're showing churn dashboards, when we go in and we manually look at the data, like inside of Stripe or manually look at the data and we're running spreadsheets and looking at it, most of the time the dashboards are wrong. Um, and so I would get a clear 100% visual accurate dashboard of how much is failing, how much are we recovering, speed to recovery, transaction number, and transaction recovery. Those are the five things that I would have up on a dashboard on Clipfolio on my phone as the as the CEO or the owner and it would be on the front page of my Clipfolio, uh, which that's what I did last time when we fixed this problem as well. So number one, best leader. Number two, clarity dashboard. And then number three is I would create a process that has a full-time focus attributed to it. Now, what I mean by that is the number one thing I see people fail at is that they add churn to somebody's already long to-do list. Oh, you need to call these customers too. Hey, you're in finance. Do the bookkeeping. And then, oh, by the way, I need you to reach out to these customers that failed. Oh, by the way, you're in customer success. You want to help people with success? Okay. Yeah, but let me add this on this too. Or, hey, you're in sales. Well, win this customer back. So we're going to add this on you too. Never works well. I would have full-time dedicated people either internally or externally. That's where we got the idea of gravity come from focused on this every single day, all day. And those three things. So that would be number one, have the right person. Number two, have the right, um, uh, dashboard. And number three, have the right process with full-time people focused on it.
0: I love that. Uh, no need to summarize. I think you did an excellent job there. Um, uh, and we can end on that as well. Casey, I think, uh, excellent, excellent advice, uh, coming obviously from a wealth of experience building companies and uh, now building gravy. So thank you so much for joining the show today uh, for the listeners. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with one final thoughts? Uh, how can they keep up to date with you? And the Yeah, you-
1: I would, I would literally say uh, our, our website is gravy solutions.io gravy solutions.io. Uh, we simply do a discovery call. Uh, we get the data And um, we don't buy it. So we'd love to talk with you and uh, see if we can help you and help your business succeed. Uh, Andrew, thanks for having us and thank you guys for listening on today's show.
0: Great, thank you. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm also don't forget to subscribe to our show on itunes google play or wherever you listen to your podcasts if you have any feedback good or bad i would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm lastly but most importantly if you enjoyed this episode please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.